Acts 4, 16 through 37, kind of a longer section, but I did want to read all the way to the end because it deals with prayer and the early church praying and then the results of those prayers when you follow it all the way to the end. And when you see the results, uh, it's clear that that's what we want. We want what we read here in this, in this passage. And yet I do also want to focus on the context, the context of persecution and suffering and specifically what they were praying for, which was boldness. So uh, starting there in verse 16 of chapter 4, uh, this is where I'm picking up where Peter and the apostles have been uh, arrested, basically for healing a man, <laughs> and uh, all the attention that they're getting, and the authorities are uh, very upset about this. And so they've conferred with each other, the council, the Sanhedrin, and uh, they say in verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name, name of Christ, of course. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So this is a command from the government, from the civil magistrate. And Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they clearly understand that there's a limit to obedience to the government, that Romans 13, which hasn't been written yet, um, but which they understand in principle is not to be taken as an absolute requirement of obedience to the civil magistrate in all things. There are limits to the civil magistrate. There are no limits to obedience to God. Verse 21, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. But the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And then his other responded to the threat from the government. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all boldness while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, and this is the result, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So uh, this is, of course, a wonderful result. And the, the primary prayer request that they had in light of the threats was boldness. And they were of one accord. Uh, they already had a unity that they were enjoying um, be in, in light of the Holy Spirit that had already been poured out upon them in, uh, at Pentecost there just preceding this. And so they already had this oneness of mind about how to pray and what the need of the hour was. And they were all of the same uh, view that the great need of the hour was not to escape this, but to have boldness to speak in light of it. So um, with with that in mind, uh, let me just give a little disclaimer here, or um, I guess a little upfront clarification. You know, there's a kind of speech that goes on at churches, and I've participated in it myself, that is guilty of what we might call talking politics. Um, it's an obsession about political matters. Uh, it's hashing and rehashing the current events of the day that take place in D.C., uh, it's a favorite pastime to grumble about politicians and political parties. But then there's this other uh, extreme, there, an overreaction to that error, which essentially becomes a complete gag order on anything that takes place in the political or civil realm, as though we can't talk about any of that, um, even though those things intersect very personally with our daily lives and our Christian duties and our church life. And so that overreaction cordons off large sections of practical matters as verboten because that's talking politics. So I just want you to know that I'm aware of both extremes and you be the judge here at the end of this, but I, I'm in my mind, I'm not here engaging in what I consider to be a useless harangue about politics, but rather talking about very practical matters that affect each one of us and our Christian duties, and also with respect to prayer and prayer for revival, which is why we're here. But in America, and this is, I think, the case for many of you as well in the countries from which you come, because you have perhaps an equivalent to this although I'm not terribly knowledgeable about it. But um, in, in our country, we've enjoyed religious liberty for a long, long time. And we have not known experientially what it is like to live in a closed country, so-called, or a country where Christians are systematically persecuted. We have a First Amendment in our Bill of Rights, which is wonderful. And it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, 
or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And this amendment, wonderful as it is, is a double-edged sword. It's simultaneously a strength for a nation, and it's also a weakness, potentially. Or it's a strength that can foster a weakness. And I think that is what has happened in America. Uh, as American Christians, we are ill-equipped to face persecution. We have not grown up with this. We have not been tested like other nations have. And we're not accustomed to thinking of our government as existing for any other purpose than our good overall. Yes, our politicians are foolish. Uh, they have horrible ideas and policies. Uh, they're often self-serving. Uh, they may have no moral principles and do what they have to do just to get reelected, but they're not actively trying to harm us. We don't think of them that way. Um, we're not accustomed to that. We, we pray for the persecuted church, which is out there um, in other countries. We don't have to deal with that. But folks, that day is upon us. And I don't have time to go into all the examples. And if I did, it, it probably would sound like I'm just talking politics. But um, these things uh, are, have became very real and tangible in 2020 and 2021. Um, persecution has arrived and more is coming. And I don't say that because I think I'm a prophet. I'm not. Um, I say it because I, I think it's so obvious as to be self-evident. And throughout Christian history and much of Jewish history, the primary, primary culprit of persecution against the faithful is civil government. There is a beastly nature to the civil authorities, and Satan usually employs the kingdoms of the world, the nations, the civil magistrates, with their powers of imprisonment and torture and death to attack the kingdom of Christ and his people. It was just prior to this chapter four, uh, the rulers and authorities that put Jesus to death with, of course, a mob egging them on. It was the authorities um, that arrested the, the apostles here in Acts 4 and then would beat them uh, in the next chapter. And much of the persecution that we read about throughout the book of Acts is, in fact, coming from governments. Uh, sometimes it comes from mobs, uh, so it's not exclusively government. But the great need of the hour uh, that they felt was boldness, uh, not savvy to know how to be less offensive to the magistrates. Uh, boldness, not to convince the magistrates that they really meant well and were just being misunderstood. Uh, they wanted boldness to speak the word of God in spite of the gag order. And in spite of the prohibition uh, that was coming from the civil authorities. And uh, that is the great need of the hour today, in my view. Um, we need boldness in a big way. Um, 
pastors need boldness. Uh, pastors of large churches need boldness because they fear large contingents of people either walking out the door or forming up a coalition to throw them out. Um, and it's a very real risk and they need to embrace the risk. And pastors of small churches, of which I am one, need the kind of boldness to say the hard things, knowing that if they have very many departures, their church isn't even sustainable anymore. Um, how low can you go before, at what threshold do you drop below before there just isn't enough people here to make this work? Um, you know, me and my family is uh, you know, family devotions and family worship, but that's not the same thing as church. So whether large or small, we have risks to take and uh, there needs to be this trust in God and there needs to be a boldness to say what needs to be said. And, and in any given passage that we're preaching on, there are things in there that are offensive that we can choose to soft pedal or omit or gently step by, or we can say them. Um, and the smaller the church, the more personal it gets because the, the very person that uh, this may um, offend is sitting right over there and you know them and they know that you know them and you know they're going through this and they know that you know they're going through this. And the issue is, are you talking to me? Are you saying this for my benefit? Um, that's the kind of risks you have to take. And then we have to take risks with respect to the increasing unpopularity of the Christian message in our day. The culture hates the gospel, hates the word of God, and is increasingly unashamed to say so. Um, the magistrates are increasingly hostile uh, to uh, freedom-minded people in general, and the Christian church as well. Um, we need revival, not so that we can escape persecution and get back to the good old days of American uh, greatness or baseball and apple pie. Uh, we need boldness to survive. Our churches are not going to survive. In fact, you could probably argue that many have not survived. We think of, I think we've always thought about persecution coming to America uh, being an occasion for churches emptying out and closing right and left. In reality, they're just closing right and left because of disinterest. But when persecution um, comes, what we see is they just simply moderate their message to avoid persecution, um, or they, they were already doing that, and so it, it isn't hard to just simply adjust in whatever way need be to maintain the good standing, um, the, the good reputation and good standing that they seem to live for. So I'm not optimistic um, based on what I have seen and based on what I see. Um, but in spite of that lack of optimism, I, I know what I need, and I, I know what um, the the true churches that that still exist, however many there are, I don't know. Um, I know what I believe they need, which is boldness, just like I need. 
Um, we American Christians who are softened by a long, good run of religious liberty are not going to make a good stand in the coming days. Um, just as we've failed miserably already um, without boldness. And of course, preceding that, there has to be a, a one accord, a unified mindset that this is actually what we need. Um, we need boldness to speak the word of God truthfully and faithfully. And you know, look at the wonderful results that we see there in Acts 4. Basically, starting in 31, uh, they prayed. The place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They got an immediate answer to their prayer. And though they had already been filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, they were filled again. Um, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul as the unity that is precious. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. So the spirit of mine, me, mine, selfishness and greed was crucified. And they had a very loose hand on all their possessions and things. And, um, you know, in times of persecution, when, Different people have things confiscated and uh, just taken away from them. It becomes all the more important for the the believers to to rally together and to share everything they have with those who are needy. And they're actually selling land. Um, you know, and this is in Israel where land wasn't just well. I have a a deep. Um, sense of sentimentality towards this piece of real estate and acreage because great grandpa started that farm and you know they they had more than that they had a tribal inheritance laid out in scripture and so that was very important in ways we can't even comprehend and they're selling tracts of land and distributing them to each as as has need and um of course Within 40 years, their land would all be set on fire anyway, and everybody would be dispersed, and the Jewish nation would be devastated. And so you think, well, what are you hanging on to it for anyway, if it's going to be torched? And that was, of course, prophesied in, in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. So they uh, they knew of that, but we also know that this world that we're walking upon is going to be torched as well. So let us hold it, our things loosely as well. But boldness is the great need of the hour. And I um, hope we can uh, pray, pray for that today and would appreciate your prayer as just a, as a pastor for that boldness that I need. Thank you.